Welcome to The Snap with Alexis Perry and Sydney Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Broncos Podcast Network and YouTube for this week's edition of The Snap. I'm Sydney Jones, your host, and today we are continuing our month-long celebration for Women's History Month. And joining me today for our second special edition episode is NFL on Fox broadcaster and founder of Galvanize, Laura Oakman. Laura, thanks so much for joining us on The Snap today and for helping celebrate Women's History Month with the Broncos. I will celebrate women's history every day, every month, every hour. So I'm thrilled to be a part of this. I love it. And you, you hit that perfectly. I was going to say, you know, first off, happy belated International Women's Day, but you know, we shouldn't be celebrated just on one day or one month. And I, I think you wrote that on Twitter too. And I love that. I'm so conflicted because I believe that any day you recognize women is a good day uh, and not just women. We can, we can fill in that blank with so many groups and I love that. But at the end of the day, this shouldn't be a tweet. This should be a verb, right? This should be an action. So it's not just honoring and recognizing and celebrating. It has to have work attached to it. So I'm always a little bit ambivalent that, that I, I want an excuse to celebrate all these incredible women who've come before us, who are in the middle of their journey or who are on their way to starting their journey. But at the same time, sometimes I'm just like, oh, let's make sure it's leading somewhere beyond a day. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And that's kind of where I want to start with you, start on that topic. You know, you've been in this business for a while and we're certainly going to get to your career and the sort of galvanize and everything a little bit later on in the podcast. But I want to know, you know, how would you describe the progress you've seen with women representation in sports, you know, since you first started in the industry to now? It's in some ways, it's kind of going back to exactly how I just answered your first one. In some ways, it's been really, really good. And I want to stop and I want to celebrate that and I, and I want to honor it. But then I always want to stop and go, hold on, it hasn't come far enough. And where it's been really good is numbers. So when I started and, you know, I was, you know, your age or, you know, even younger, um, I, I would always count women at events. And especially as I got lucky and started going to Super Bowls, I started going to NBA finals and World Series and I did young. And so I would always count women and I did it because I could. You know, so it started with one hand and then it went to two hands. And then all of a sudden I couldn't count anymore because there were so many women and that was magnificent. So I love that. But if you ask me to now count the women in our industry and in sports period who are in the leadership positions, who are in the true power positions and in the power in the positions to hire and in the positions to create content, the positions to truly make a lasting impression. Well, I'm back to one hand again. And so I want to celebrate numbers because I think it's wonderful that there's so many of us, but I know we have so, so much further to go to truly make an impact. So we're doing beyond just celebrating women, you know, in a day of sports. And also, I just want to say this, I probably also was wrong in my counting because I just counted women. I didn't realize, well, now, is it every woman that looks like me? Is it just white women? I just was so into like, how many women, how many women? And now I would also say, well, we have so much further to go in terms of representation, in terms of making sure that there's a lot more women in every area of this business, but also making sure that it's every woman of every color, of every faith, and making sure that we looked a little different than just, hey, one big, uh, let's just say one big room of women all encompassing. It needs to be a whole lot bigger than that, literally and figuratively. 
I, I love that you said that because, you know, there still is a lot more work to be done, even though we've made so much headway, you know, in this aspect of the industry. What do you think overall, just a big picture, what would the future of women representation in the NFL look like for you? How can we, you know, continue pulling our seats up to the table and, and be prominent in this industry? Yeah, that's the problem, right? Because we always talk about a seat at the table. And I'm like, I've been doing this just about 30 years now. And I don't want a seat at the table. I want to run the table. You know, I, I want to make sure that it's not just me fighting to, you know, excuse me, excuse me, can I get a seat? You know, like, let me squeeze my chair. And I want to be making sure that I run the table so that that whole table suddenly has shifted. And that table isn't just one woman at the seat, but suddenly, you know, a table of 10 that the majority of the people sitting there are women. The majority of people sitting there are women of color um, and, and men of color. And so I would just say that right now, what that means is we have to keep making sure that we're fighting for not just a seat at the table. And that's in right. ownership, that's teams, that's broadcasting, that's making sure that we're represented in, in more roles than just broadcasting. Uh, there has to be more, you know, we're seeing more and more coaches, which is fantastic, but we can still count. Um, but we need to start seeing, I had general manager like baseball has we need to start seeing more women scouts which we're getting we need to see more women uh representing athletes we just there's just so much in terms of making sure that we're in those powerful positions in this league and not just peripheral roles it's kind of i i am a sideline reporter so i am in no way disparaging that role because it's you know it's it's i still do it wonderful life and wonderful opportunities but literally and figuratively there needs to be more than just women on the sideline and that's the majority of my career and I feel like we're just starting to see that and I, my hope is I don't have to my hope is I get to watch it happen and I get to be a part of it versus um, versus hoping that one day it's going to get better. I never thought I'd see as far as we've gotten. And that's wonderful. I didn't think it would be while I was, I never thought I'd see a woman NFL coach. And I used to always say that not in my lifetime. So I'm so happy that it is in my lifetime. And I just hope that the real true meaningful steps that continue to be taken will continue to be in my lifetime. Cause I hope we're moving in that direction. And I hope we're moving a little faster than it's taken. I absolutely love that you said, you want to run the table, not just pull your seat up. Because I always say the cliche of, you know, we're pulling our seats up to table, up to the table, but you know, our seats have been at the table. So I'm going to, I'm going to use that going forward. But for our viewers, let's start from the very beginning of your path to where you are now, when you first got into the industry, you know, what made you so interested in football and what made you so interested in wanting to go into sports broadcasting? I am asked that all the time and I have been for three decades. Like I know you are right. Like everyone always asks that. And, and I always kind of smile because I'm a Chicago girl. I grew up there. And so sports wasn't a gender thing. It wasn't like the boys on Sundays went and went to the bears games or watched the bears games. We all watched the bears games, you know, and, and the question wasn't, are you a baseball fan? It was, are you a Cubs fan or a white Sox fan? So it wasn't gender. It was part of my life. All my childhood memories are around Chicago sports. We had some incredible ones. You know, my favorite memories are around the 85 bears and Jim McMahon and Richard Dent and obviously Michael Jordan and the Bulls. So that was our life. It wasn't sports. It was our world. And 
I, I, I was a storyteller since I was a little girl. My mom would always say that she would go to, she would put me down to sleep. And as old as I, you know, as, as soon as I started talking, it would be story time, but I didn't ask to be read a story. I asked if I could tell a story. And so I was always telling stories. And from a very young age, you would say, you're my storyteller. And so I think I always had that in my mind and was really fortunate that I had someone say that to me, you know, that put that in my ear of like, huh, what does that mean that I tell stories? So journalism was, was very young for me. I knew I wanted to tell stories and sports. I, I took my first sports class, journalism class in college. I was the only woman. And I think that was a bit of a novelty and kind of why is she here? And I fell in love and really realized the greatest stories to tell are sports, right? And how great are, and lucky are we that a football game in three hours, we have a beginning, a middle of it and an end. And we have drama and we have adversity and we have goats and we have villains. And, and it just was always the most wonderful way for me to feel like I was sharing stories. And I just know my first job, which was really hard to get, I was doing news during the week and sports during the weekend. And the first time I covered a dead body, and I stood over a body and I was there with a couple of the police officers and a couple of other reporters. And I was, you know, 22 years old, 21 years old. And I walked away to compose myself. I'd never been that close to a body before. And one of the police officers very kindly followed me and said, are you okay? And I said, I am. I just needed to kind of catch my breath. And he said, just so you know, one day you're going to get used to this. And I went home and I called my mom and I cried and I said, I don't want to, I don't ever want to stand over a body and get used to it. And so sports was a really great, it was a great way of being like, you belong in sports, but I'll say this Sydney back then, what I loved about it, it was a break from news. It was a break from dead bodies. And I'm also very thankful that I have a news background because there's no line anymore, right? Like the stories you and I cover now very little has to do with sports these days. The three hour escape does, but everything else is about the world of, you know, the world seeping into sports. So I'm very fortunate that I don't consider myself an NFL reporter or a sports reporter. I consider myself a reporter. And now more than ever, if you're going into this field, you have to consider yourself that knowing that you never know what you're going to cover these days. That's a very good point. Um, I also worked in local television, my first job, and I did sports and news a little bit. Um, and I would look forward to those sports days too. Cause like you said, I thankfully didn't have to see any dead bodies, but those news stories made me very well-rounded for this job that I have today. Well-rounded and so valuable where there's so many reporters who all of a sudden they're out in the field. They think they're covering a sports story and suddenly a news story breaks out and a news director or your boss has to go, we'll send a reporter over, but they never have to worry about that with you, right? Like whatever happens, you know how to tell a story. And again, going back to storytellers at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you are talking sports, if you're talking news, politics, entertainment, if you're a good storyteller and you know how to, and you know how to, um, you know how to tell a story, then that's really the most important thing in our business. And I always want young women to understand that going, don't just look at the sport you like. Don't just look at the sidelines. Make sure that you're not looking for a sweet gig. You're looking for a sustainable career. And that's where that news background is so valuable. It certainly is. Laura, you know, you worked in local television, like we mentioned, you've worked for you know, CNN, TNT, currently NFL and Fox, you know, just to name a few there. 
I want to ask how important was, you know, each stage or, you know, each of those jobs in your career and how have, you know, they shaped you into the person and to the broadcaster you are today? They're everything. And I always look at everybody's life like this great jigsaw puzzle, right? Like, and we don't know what the big picture is, but you just have all these little pieces. And sometimes you might be like, well, this piece isn't doing anything for me, or I hate this piece. But then all of a sudden you get a little bit of time and you get a little older and you start seeing, well, that piece actually fit with that piece, which fit with, which, which fit with that piece. And suddenly this magnificent puzzle starts appearing. And I'd say that's probably what happened to me. The places that uh, were hardest for me and that I probably enjoyed the least and I struggled with, I look back now and go, well, that was probably the most important piece of the puzzle that led me to where I am today in work and in life. So those, every single one of those stops were so important because I was doing the work and it's hard in, in every business. So not just ours. And this is life when you're young. And even when you're not so young, I guess just when you're growing and when you're going, you're just always looking at there. I just, I want to get there. And what do I have to do to get there? And at the end of the day, as you get, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get older, what you realize is there was always here. And in, you're in such a hurry to get there that you stop looking at here where you are and you're, you're on the journey right now. Where you are is the, is the story, is part of the, you know, maybe the most important story, but you just don't see it yet or the most important part of the story. So I think every one of those places, it depends on my mood. Sometimes I would look at, I'd look back if you said, you know, tell me the most important, wonderful thing that came out of each place. I could do that. But also if you said to me, tell me what's the hardest thing that came out of each place. Uh, I'd be able to do that. And I'd probably hang on the hardest parts a little bit longer because I know how important they are. So I'm one of those that will never as a reporter or as a human being ask somebody, where do you want to be in five years and 10 years? I don't ask, where do you want to be tomorrow? Because God will think it's healthy. You know, you want to be here, but I'm a big believer in just where are you right now? Where Be where your feet are to use, you know, something we say in football all the time, but be where your feet are and make sure you're taking advantage of this moment and this opportunity and this situation. And then the rest of the jigsaw puzzle pieces will just kind of fall in line. But I can't think of a, a sadder story than to waste all those little pieces and wait for the big picture. And suddenly you look back and go, man, I blew it. There were 20 awesome pieces in there that I just rushed through. So, so that, long, long answer to your question every one of those stops was really important for every single, every single way that I've grown as a person and as, um, and as a professional broadcaster. Talking about you, where you're at right now, you know, you're the third longest tenured sideline reporter in NFL history, an amazing accomplishment. I know you achieved that a couple of years ago, I believe 2018. So I just want to ask, you know, now you've kind of consumed it, absorbed it a little bit. How much has that honor truly meant to you? Everything, you know, even when, even when you say it, I still, I, it still makes me want to cry, you know, like, and, and it's just, there's such a different pride in that because kind of going back to, you know, trying so hard to get there. I just, I, I did what most of us do. I, I spent a long time looking at what everyone else was doing and why is she getting that break? And why is he getting that opportunity? And why am I not? And there were so many times I just was looking at everybody else's path instead of focusing on mine. And then one day, you know, I woke up to a tweet on a Sunday morning and it, it alerted me to that. And I had no idea people even pay attention to things like that. So I certainly didn't know that was something 
that I was even in line for, which kind of made it even more wonderful. But I just remember waking up one morning and being surprised by the amount of blowing up my phone was doing on a Sunday morning and my friends and family know not to bother me on a pregame Sunday and was like, <laughs> what's happening? And that tweet had gone out uh, congratulating me and Fox sent something. And I was just stunned by it. And I think the old me or the young me would have made an age joke, you know, and that would have been the first thing I would have thought of, but I'm really grateful that something like that happens when you are older, because I wouldn't dare make fun of that because I'm really proud of it. And I'm also really proud because I work with so many young women. I don't want you guys to just look at me and be like, I want her job. I want you guys to look at me and go, I want to be 50 years old and still kicking ass at my job. I still, I want to be 50 years old and I want to be loving what I do. And I want you guys to not see a job. I want you to see a, a career. And that's probably what I'm most proud of now is, is um, really making sure that all of you young women see a group of older women who aren't just doing this, but still doing this at a high level. So you guys don't have to hear what I always heard, which was once you hit 40, you better have another plan. You know, once you hit 40, you better start thinking about something else, a plan B. And at 40, I was just getting good. So I was always really scared about that, about aging on camera, because everyone told me to be, I, I feared that. And I believed that for a really long time. And I want you guys to see women who are wrapping our arms around it. And I can say to you in all sincerity and honesty, wait till you see how good it gets. Wait till you see how confident you get in your forties. Wait till you see how much more respect you get, how much more your relationships will deepen with players and coaches. And so I think all of that and one accomplishment and one tweet uh, alerting me to it was a, was a, a defining moment for me. Truly, Laura, you have been an inspiration and an amazing role model, not just to young women in the industry, but every woman in the industry, you know, not only through your role as a broadcaster, but with the start of Galvanize too. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, just to start, you know, for our listeners who might not know what it is, what is Galvanize? How would you describe it? So hard. It's, um, and it really isn't. It, Galvanize is just something that I wanted to make sure that you all had that I didn't, which was a network of women in sports to navigate this world with. And I, I just was very alone and felt very lonely for a really long time in this business. And I had some great guy friends, um, some great guy friends. Stuart Scott was my best friend for over 20 years. And I leaned hard on Stuart, but he couldn't help me with certain things, right? Like there are just some things that, that I'd be like, you just don't get it. You just don't get it, you know? And, and I would need a woman and I, I didn't have a woman mentor and I didn't have women friends in this business and not because of cattiness, not because of all the stereotypes, but because it was really hard 30 years ago to get into this business. It was really hard to stay in this business. So I wasn't looking for anybody. I wasn't looking behind me to see, Okay, can I help you, sister? Like, you know, like, let me show you how, you know, what I've done. And I wasn't looking left or right to go, who's doing this with me? And unfortunately, I didn't look ahead to go, maybe someone can help me because my head was down and I just was working and plowing my way through and just trying to stay above water. And I just got to a point when I hit 40 and I started seeing all of you guys get thrown in a lot earlier than I did. And while I was thrilled with seeing more women get opportunities, I also was nervous. And I saw a lot of young women get chewed up and spit out and thrown into opportunities way too fast. And so I just 
kept going, how can I help? How can I help? And so Galvanize was born from that. And it was never supposed to be a company. It was never supposed to have a name or an LLC behind it or anything. It was just answering the question, how can I help? And that was about 12 years ago. And now it's over 2,500 women. And it started women on camera. Now it's in front of the camera, behind the camera, coaches, scouts, we have sports agents, we have women in HR, we have which is women of every age, every stage. And it's pretty powerful. It's just a great place that women can go to in this business to help navigate it. Because as you know, this business isn't black and white. It's all gray. And it's somewhere you can go and support other women and be supported by other women in a really pretty beautiful sisterhood place. You mentioned, you know, it's been over 12 years since you started it. You talk about the growth throughout those years. How rewarding has it been for you? you know, to see, to see the impact that you're making on all these young women's careers. You know, I, yesterday, actually, I was talking to um, the Broncos social media assistant, Roya Burton, and I was telling her I was interviewing you today and she went to one of your boot camps. <laughs> like, I, I think it was like five years ago. Um, I think it was in Atlanta for the Falcons. So yeah, I mean, you're making a huge difference on so many women throughout the whole entire country. So I can't even imagine how it makes you feel. I don't have my own kids. And so I think how, what I, how it feels is as close as I'll ever get to knowing what that feeling's like. Right. Like it's just, you know, when people say, how many kids do you have? I'm like a couple thousand. And I feel that way. It's this career, as you know, and you will find out even more. So it's just, it's very selfish. And, and again, it can be very lonely and it's you and a lot of check boxes as you go up your path, the higher you go and the further you go, and then I know just for me, one day I looked around and was just like, okay, what's bigger than this? You know, at some point it's more than just what boxes am I checking? And so this just gave me this beautiful purpose I never had and to be able to grow something besides myself. And I always thought the greatest feeling in the world was accomplishing something and covering a Super Bowl or calling a Super Bowl or hosting the Olympics and really cool things. But my heart grows five sizes every time one of my women do that, you know, and I get to see one of them like Roya go from this young woman who's scared to death and not knowing what path she's going to take to all of a sudden seeing these incredible paths, you're all blazing. And that's a huge honor. I, this is a morbid thing to say, but the other day, my husband and I were talking about funerals and talking about um, not wanting to leave the other person to have to make all these hard decisions. And so we were having this conversation of what would, what would you want me to do? And I said to him, I want you just to reach out to galvanize and just let all my young girls get up there and talk. Like, that's it. I don't need anyone else. Like just let them get up there. And, mm -hmm. and we laughed, but I thought, you know, like that says a lot. It says just mm -hmm. about how much you know, everyone always asks what the young women get from Galvanize, and I hope they get a lot from it. But I hopefully learned from that is how much I get from that. And when I think about that's who I want talking about me is hopefully all these young women who not only have grown because of Galvanize, but have grown together and galvanize each other in ways that I don't get to see and galvanize the Denver Broncos. You know, I'm not there, but to feel like there's a little piece of Galvanize there is is about as you know, is, is a Super Bowl win for me. You know, it's, it's tremendous and something I never, ever, ever imagined would happen when this whole thing started. Nora, I know you typically do these boot camps in person every single year. 
so how was last year with COVID? How challenging was it to, you know, shift to that virtual setting of it? Surprisingly wonderful because I was so nervous about that and just kept going, how can this be as wonderful virtually? But I think the good thing that one of the good things that came out of it was galvanize, you know, the first, first workshop I did, it took about four months to find 20 women to sign up, you know, like, I didn't know, I was like, is this going to work? And how it was hard to find 20 women to walk into a room. And since then we fill up before I announce it. And there's a wait list of every workshop that's 20 to 30 women. And so there's a cost. Women are flying all over the country to do it. And so there's reasons why not everybody can get in. And it is, it's hard to get in because I keep them very intimate for the purpose of, you know, creating this great sisterhood. But I always felt like, ah, I'm leaving so many women out. And so this was a great way to be able to just go who wants in. And so I've probably done about 30 to 35 virtual workshops. And, and there's been some where it's still been intimate and have, you know, 20 women. And then there's been some where there's been 150 women. And it's been a year of no one having to travel. Um, schedules are, you know, a little bit easier since people are home. I haven't, you know, there's no charge. It's just been all making sure that everybody can jump in. So I think it's, it's stretched me in terms of having to rethink it and to go, okay, well now how do I create intimacy and a, and a sincere, authentic sisterhood virtually? How do I do it with a hundred women, let alone, you know, just instead of 20 women. And so it's made me have to work a little bit harder, which is always nice. And, and it's made, um, it's made galvanize grow in different ways. So what I've also found is it's been very purposeful. There's times where something's happened in the world where I've gotten a, you know, morning waking up after what happened with, you know, with the Mets and all of a sudden I'll wake up to 35 texts of women struggling. And so I'll go, you know what? I need to get everybody on a zoom today and I'll give a two hour notice and we'll have 150 women to just go, okay, let's talk through this. And that wasn't done before. So there's been, there's been a handful of 911 calls to get a group of women together. And I've also partnered with about five NFL teams, a, a division one college football team, professional women, hockey player association. There's been times where all these teams and players have needed us, have needed that intimacy, have needed the galvanized touch that we do. And so we've actually been really busy in really purposeful, meaningful, virtual ways. Yeah, truly incredible idea. And would love to be a part of some of them moving forward. Uh, Laura, I just have one more question for you. You've given such great advice throughout this whole podcast, but I always like to end on some more advice to, you know, empower the younger generation. So what's the one piece of advice you typically give your galvanized girls or just any woman in general trying to break into the sports industry, no matter what area of it? I think, gosh, there's so many, but I I think the most important one, and this, if you don't take care of this early, you're going to have to take care of it at some point. And again, for me, it was 40. Um, but I think the most important thing is you are coming into an industry where you are going to be told constantly, you're not wanted. You're going to be told your voice isn't important. You're going to be told that nobody wants to hear your voice. Anyway, you're going to be quizzed. If you know what you're talking about, you're going to be told, um, no one cares if you do know what you're talking about. And so eventually what happens is you hear all those voices and those voices become your voice. And so you start going, well, maybe I don't belong. 
and maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And then you start quieting yourself and then you start questioning your questions and then you start just getting smaller and smaller. And so my biggest piece of advice is always making sure that your voice is louder than those voices. And that means your voice has to be the supportive one. That voice has to be the galvanized one. You can't galvanize everybody else if you're not galvanizing yourself. So if you put a little thought bubble over my head when I was your age, you'd feel really bad for me because it would have said you don't belong here. It would have said your questions suck. It would have said, you know, nobody wants to hear what you say. So it would have been so negative. And now if you look at my little thought bubble, it's saying you're pretty great at what you do. Keep going, keep inspiring. Great question. Way to go. You stand up. I make sure that my thoughts and my voice, are, are, it, it's, it's my greatest champion. And so that's probably my biggest thing is, especially after a two-day workshop at Galvanize, I hope what changes is every one of those women walk into the room as it starts and they're questioning, do I belong in this room? Look at all these great women. You know, she's, she has more experience. She's pretty. She's this, she's that. And they're comparing themselves to everybody. And by the time they walk out of a workshop after two days, what their head is going to say is I belong in that room. And so does every one of those women. And so I want to make sure every time that I get my hands on all of these young women starting in this business, it's to make sure to tell them it's going to be hard and you're going to have a lot of negativity thrown at you. And I did it in time of um, non, um, non-internet and non-social media. So yeah. you guys have it worse than I did. Right. I want to make sure that you guys are the most supportive voices in your own head and in each other's head. And I didn't get that till I was 40 and I wasn't supposed to get it a minute earlier. But if, if you guys can get that in your head in your twenties, you will be unstoppable for a longer amount of time. I just, I'm always like, please don't wait till you're 40 to be unstoppable. Please see how amazing and magnificent you are at an earlier age. And if you can conquer that, I don't care what business you're in. It's going to be a so much more beautiful life in terms of, I feel like then you're going to run to every challenge and opportunity you can instead of pulling yourself back and holding yourself back. Laura, I'm not going to lie. That gave me goosebumps. You, that hit home for me just being so young and I work for our digital team. So all of my stuff goes to our website, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, like all the social media outlets. So I'm constantly having to remind myself of that inner voice because people tag you in comments or you see comments. Listen, I'm, I, I, I don't look at Twitter on Sundays. I don't look at them after a game because I leave the game knowing either I crushed it or I struggled, but I don't need anyone else to tell me how my game was. And so I, I know to stay away from it on Sundays, but I say that saying you have to know yourself and what with Stuart Scott, Stuart used to keep all his negative letters back then before, you know, before emails and before tweets, people would have to write him all this ugliness and Stuart as, you know, one of the trailblazers uh, as a black man got so much hate letter, uh, so much hate letters. He kept every one of them. And I'd always be like, well, where are the positive letters? And he never kept that. And I'd always be like, I don't want to see that or don't read that to me. And to Stuart, that fired him up. And that was important for him. That was part of his drive. And I, we'd always talk about this because he'd say, maybe you should do that. And I'd say, that doesn't fire me up. That brings me down. And so, right? So exactly. So you've got to know yourself because you'll hear some people the same way, you know, players all need different coaching. 
some of us love that. Some of us love to hear that and be like, yeah, screw this. You know, like I'm going to, but some of us just go into a fetal position sometimes and just think about that. And so I think it's also making sure that you're not, you're not responding to it in a way other people tell you to, but if you need to process it and you need to figure out how you can turn your head from it, then, then I can't stress this enough Then do that. But again, it's why once you get to that place in your life, when you know how magnificent you are, when you see what I see, when I look at you, those things don't matter anymore. It's just, it's just a fly that you swat. You notice it, you know, if the flies here, like I see it, but I'm going to swat it away and keep talking to you. I'm not going to just sit and focus on that fly. And eventually all that negative stuff and all those awful, ugly, stupid, mean things just turn into annoying flies that you swat away and you continue, bla you continue blazing your beautiful trail. Laura, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you and getting to know you. And it's been an honor having you on this podcast today. So thank you. Appreciate it a lot. No, I so appreciate your appreciation. And I so appreciate you having me. I so enjoyed this, Sydney. I cannot wait to keep cheering you on. And I cannot wait till our paths finally intersect in person, hopefully soon. Well, everyone, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Another thanks again to Laura Oakman for taking the time to join us on this special edition of The Snap. And I have one more shout out before I go. This past Monday on International Women's Day, the Broncos donated $20,000 to support local organizations. $5,000 donations went to Girls Inc. of Metro Denver, Latina's First Foundation, Women's Bean Project, and the Women's Foundation of Colorado's Women and Girls of Color Fund. Truly a phenomenal way to celebrate International Women's Day, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned it on our podcast. So, Also, guys, don't forget, we'll be celebrating Women's History Month all month long, so make sure to tune in next Friday to the Broncos Podcast Network and YouTube for another special guest. I'll see you all then.